ready for a really bad day. I don't know if you've ever really had a bad day. I'm not sure, but I know I have. I've had a few. Uh, and this actually happened to a friend of mine. Hey, you know that raise we gave you? We're going to have to take that back. That's a bad day. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but that's not a fun time to go through. Um, this happened. You know that medication you're on? We're taking you off. Oh, great. But we're going to put you on this. Oh, great. Insurance doesn't cover that one. That's a bad day. You see dollar flanks. Ching, 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 ching. And where does it stop? The vehicle you just put $600 into. It still doesn't work right. I know you've never had that happen to you before. That's kind of a bad day. Personal struggles seem to be much too hard to bear, and you wonder, does God care? Does He really understand everything that I'm going through? What is your response when those things come into your life? How do you deal with those things that are just seemingly too big? I think we can see an example of how we should respond from the life of David. So if you would turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel... Chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. The remedy for a really bad day. I'll give you the exact chapter in just a moment. In First Samuel chapter 16... In verses 12 and 13, you don't need to turn there just yet. But David was anointed king, but there's one problem. Saul is still on the throne. We know what's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. God has a plan, and we know that God's Spirit had left Saul, therefore Saul was being rejected from being king, but the solution is not quite there yet. So a series of events begin to take place. And one of the biggest events that takes place is that Goliath comes on the scene. And Goliath really, in many regards, just practically speaking, can resemble or, or uh, uh, be parallel to so many things that we face in life. Maybe it's that cancer. Maybe it's that difficult situation with a child or a family member. Maybe it is that financial situation you're going through, but for whatever reason, Goliath has entered the picture. And it seems that Goliath is just huge. Um, I don't know how accurate it is, but in Bourbon, Indiana, there is a church called Bourbon Bible Church that the front of it is glass. And they have inside the glass so that everybody who drives along the highway can see a lifelike structure of Goliath. When you think of a eight foot plus man, it's not just a bean pole. <laughs> his arms were huge, and his calves were huge, and his waist was huge, and it went to a V. He was a monster of a man. And then you got David, who was no little guy himself, although he may have not been the size of Goliath, obviously. And you think to you think to yourself, wow. What a difference in comparison. Little old David, as we hear, and monster Goliath. 
And to man's eyes, that's overwhelming. From man's thoughts, that's an impossibility. And so are some of the things that God allows into our lives. Did God know that David was going to face a Goliath? Sure he did. There's no accident. There's no, oh wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. Did God know that you're going to face the struggles that you face? Yes. He didn't wake up in the morning and say, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. Everything that happens in our life is not only for a purpose, but ultimately is so that God can be glorified through it. Right? How we handle those things that God allows in our lives is important. How we view it, how we look at it, how we respond to it is important. And if God allows it, He has a reason for it. But I wonder how often we respond in such a way that brings glory to God. That's a struggle. Do we handle it right? And I think David teaches us some things that we can really learn from here in this passage. So first of all, in, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 29, uh, David asks a question here. Is what have I done now? Protested David. It was a question, and in some of your translations, it may, it may say, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason for any of us to stand up and fight? To stand up and say that God is bigger than all of this. Rather than just, oh well, poor me, this is too big, and kind of have the self-pity party. That brings glory to nobody, including ourselves. So David comes on, he has this question. What is going on here? As we come into the next chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 8, it says this, Saul was furious and resented this song. What was the song? Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And this, and the jealousy and the rage began to eat him up. And let me just tell you, when there is jealousy and rage in our lives, it will eat you up. It will destroy you from the inside out. And you have to know that in life, there are going to be circumstances that life is not fair. It's never going to be fair. God never said it was going to be fair. And here is here's, uh, Saul being eaten up with jealousy because of what everybody is saying. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has ten thousands. And he's eaten up with jealousy, and jealousy will destroy you. So he comes in here, Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So watched, so Saul watched David jealously from the, that day forward. It began to consume him so that nothing else in life mattered but to get somehow at the heart of David. And verse 10 says, The next day an evil spirit sent from God to control Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear, and he threw it thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from this twice. So twice Saul is so angry that he sets out to try to kill David. I'm just thinking that's a really bad day. Anytime you can wake up and start your day with somebody trying to kill you, that's a bad day. Um, but Saul tries to kill David again. Look, look in 1 Samuel chapter 19. Actually, look, 
before you look at it, look at verse 14. Chapter 18, verse 14. And continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. Despite the bad day, we can still have God be with us. We don't have to let the difficulty of the day, the trials that God has allowed into our life, to consume us in such a way that it breaks down what God wants to do in and through us. God still wants to use us. God still wants to be seen through us. <clears throat> but because David had the right attitude, God still had his hand on him. God still used him despite the difficulties that he was facing. And then we see Saul tries to kill David again. 1 Samuel 19, <clears throat> verse 9. It says, Now an evil spirit sent from the Lord came on Saul. As he was sitting in his palace holding his spear, David was playing the lyre, and Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear. As the spear struck the wall, David eluded Saul, ran away, and escaped that night. I don't know about you, but I just tried to get out of there too. Verse 15, Saul sent the agents back to see David and said, Bring him on his bed so I can kill him. When the messengers arrived, to their surprise, the household idol was on the bed with some goat hair on his head. I mean, he's got to kind of make it look like somebody's in bed sleeping, even though it wasn't him. The lump, the pillow that was under the blanket, resembling a body. But he is eaten up with this. What was David's response? We see his response in chapter 20, verse 1. David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What did I do wrong? How have I sinned against your father so that he wants to take my life? But isn't that kind of a natural response to so many going through difficult times? I wonder what I've done wrong. Did I sin? Did I do something that angered God? Did I do something that was wrong? I mean, what have, what have I done? Have I sinned? Had David sinned? No. Not yet, not at this point. The problem was that Saul was eaten up with jealousy. He was angry that the crowds attributed ten thousands to his credit, but only thousands to his credit. And the jealousy began to consume him so that nothing else in life mattered. And there are times that we have to understand, did God know that this situation was going to take place? Yes. In fact, hadn't God really warned them that, listen, I know you want a human being, fleshly king. That's not the best choice. I'd rather you worship me and have me as your king. Didn't he try to warn them? He did. Because God always knows what's best. He knows what's best for his people. But the people wanted one thing. It was opposite of what God wanted, and he allowed it. And this is backfiring on them. And the king is consumed with jealousy. And God is about to show himself strong. David really, is at this point, is showing a lot of regard and a lot of humility. So on and on and on, David was pursued. And don't you think David could have responded differently? I mean, after all, I mean, what if someone tried to kill you? 
what would you do? I know what I would do. <laughs> My gun's bigger than your gun. <laughs> and I can shoot farther than you. <laughs> no, I would never do that. But isn't that our natural and our fleshly sinfulness to get even? I mean, after all, he tried to kill me. Can't I defend myself and take care of matters myself? I mean, couldn't he justifiably struck out with his own men and his own, his own uh, uh, armor bearers and his own guys and, and just destroyed Saul? Maybe he could have. But he didn't. In fact... After all, he was about to be the next king. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 24 in this story. And through these couple of chapters of the story, Saul is continuing to pursue. He's continuing to be eaten up by jealousy. He's continuing to becoming more, if you will, insanely paranoid of what's going to happen. Look at verse 3. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and he went to relieve himself. David and his men were staying in the back of the cave. I mean, here, can you imagine this? I mean, put yourself... You're the, you're the fly in the wall. You're the bat hanging on the ceiling of the cave. And you're watching everything that has taken place. You're hiding out because Saul and his men are chasing you. They're looking intently to find you so that they can kill you. And it just so happens that David and his men are hiding in the cave that Saul walks into to relieve himself. Hmm. Verse 4. So they, David's men, said to him, David, Look, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do with him whatever you desire. I mean, think about this. David is being encouraged by his men. David. God has delivered the enemy right to you. And somehow as, as Saul was laying down and taking in the rest and relieving himself, look what happens. Then David got up and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. I mean, if that doesn't send out a message... He's right there tiptoeing in, takes out his dagger, cuts off a part of his robe, and brings it back. Verse 5. Afterward, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, I swear before the Lord, I would never do such a thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. How would you respond to a man who is trying to kill you? Would you still say that he was the Lord's anointed? Would you still say that, boy, I can't do this because this is God's man? I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. And with these words, David persuaded his men and he did not let them rise up against Saul. I would say at this point, David is showing some incredible integrity. Some restraint. And as you go over to chapter 26, and this story continues. Chapter 26 and verse 7. 
that night David and Abishai came to the troops. And Saul was lying there asleep in the inner circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Abner and the troops were lying around him. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has handed your enemy over to you. Let me thrust the spear through him into the ground just once, and I won't have to strike him twice. He said, David, just give me the nod, and he's done, guy. Just give me the nod. David, you don't even have to do it. I'll do it for you. I'll take care of the problem. I'll go ahead and destroy Saul. You don't even have to do it. Just give me the okay, and I'll do it. But David, once again, spares his life. And you know the guys, today, the Lord has given you. I mean, let's even play the God card. God has given this opportunity to you. God never gives us an opportunity to do wrong. The situations are always there to do right. He will never, James tells us, God doesn't tempt any man to sin. Look at verse 9. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him, for who can lift a hand against the Lord's anointed and be blameless? David added, As the Lord lives, the Lord will certainly strike him down. Either his day will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. However, because of the Lord, I will never lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Instead, take the spear and the water jug by his head, and let's go. He takes his weapon takes his water, and leaves. I don't know about you, but the temptation had to have been great. Twice to be in a circumstance where you could destroy the man who is pursuing you to kill you, to take your life. What does David do then? Just because he walks away from Saul doesn't mean Saul is walking away from him. Saul is still persistently pursuing him. Saul still has one agenda. Kill David. So what does David do? I'm glad you asked. 1 Samuel 29, verse 1. Then the Philistines brought all their military units together at Aphek, while Israel was camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine leaders were passing in review with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were passing in review behind them with Achish. Think about this. Stop right there just for a moment. Who were the Philistines? They were the enemy, right? Even though they were the enemy, David gets this idea. I have Saul and his men chasing me to kill me. The enemy of Saul is the Philistines. I know what I'm going to do. Come on, guys. Let's just kind of join in behind the Philistines. Just kind of blend in. My problems are solved, right? I've joined the camp of the enemy. Saul will no longer care about me. There's only one problem. The Philistines cared about David. See, because David had killed his ten thousands. David was not without power. David was not without a reputation. So what happens here? Look at verse 3. Then the Philistines' commanders asked, What are these Hebrews doing here? Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are they doing with our soldiers? 
Achish answered the Philistine commanders, That is David, servant of King Saul of Israel. He has been with me a considerable period of time from the day he defected until today. I found no fault with him. Hey, you have nothing to worry about. David has defected from King Saul. He's no longer part of his group. The Philistine commanders, however, were enraged with Achish and told him, send that man back and let him return to the place you assigned him. He must not go down with us into battle only to become our adversary during the battle. What better way could he regain his master's favor than with the heads of the men? Isn't this David they sang about during their dances? Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. So Achish summoned David and told him, As the Lord lives, you are an honorable man. I think it is good to have you working with me in the camp, because I have found no fault in you from this day. You came until now, I mean until today. But the leaders of leaders don't think you are reliable. Now go back quietly, and you won't, do, won't be doing anything the Philistine leaders think is wrong. Achish has to confront David and say, wait a minute, I know you're a good guy, but you can't stay here. You can't stay here. Can you imagine the defeat mentally that David was experiencing? He can't even join the enemy. He has no place to go. What do you do in that situation? I mean, here he is just trying to blend in, but they're concerned that if the battle gets started, they might turn on us too. And now we're facing Saul's guys and from within. What do you do? Achish, verse 9, answered David, I'm convinced that you are reliable as the angel of God. But the Philistine commanders have said, he must not go into battle with us. So get up early in the morning, you and your master, servants who came with you. And when you've all gotten up early, go as soon as it's light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So David is having a series of really bad days. He's got Solomon's men pursuing him, trying to kill him, attempting to kill him. He's trying to run from them. He's been on, the high, been on the run. He's been hiding out in caves. He's been hiding out in the thickets. He's joined with the enemy, and the enemy says, you can't stay here. What next? What do you do when you have a whole bunch of really bad days? Chapter 30, verse 1. And this is where we'll spend the majority of our time for a few moments. David and his men arrived in Ziklag on the third day, and the Amalekites had raided the Negev, and attacked and burned down Ziklag. They also had kidnapped the women and everyone in it from the youngest to the oldest. They had killed no one, but had carried them off as they went on their way. Meanwhile, back on the home front, David decides after all this, I guess I have no place to go but to go back home. Verse 3, when David and his men arrived at their town, they found it burned down. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. David and the troops with him wept loudly until they had no strength in them left to weep. When you think it can't get any worse, I have no place to turn, so I guess I'll go back home. 
How many of you have ever been away from home for a week and you've had to stay in motels? The beds are less than desirable. The pillowcases don't seem to be real clean and there's this funny odor on the carpet. <laughs> and you just want to go home to your own bed. David's wanting to go home. The problem is they get home and home's not there. This town is burned down. They have raided and all the spoils of the town, the village. The women and children are gone. And they sat there and cried till they had nothing more to cry, no more ability to cry within themselves. They're just exhausted. Physically, mentally, emotionally, they're spent. Who are with David? His supporters, the ones that rallied around David, they were the ones that protected him and, and went with him everywhere he went. Look at verse 5. David's two wives, Ahinoam and Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had also been kidnapped. David was in a difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him. For they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. Stop right there. So now David doesn't even have the friendship of those who went with him to protect him. David, I think we can safely say, is having a bad day and he's all by himself. And let me just say this. Listen to this. Every one of us in this auditorium this morning are going to find ourselves at one point or another in a difficult situation, having a bad day, and you're going to be all alone. There are times in your lives that your God has allowed a circumstance to come into your life. And it's not like you can walk next door to your neighbor and talk about it because you just can't do it. You can't pick up the phone and tell so-and-so because it's not prudent and you know it. And even if you could, they're out of town and you can't talk to them. For whatever reason, you are by yourself. God has allowed this circumstance. What do you do when seemingly no one else is around? You do what David did. At the end of verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Did you catch that? David is all alone. He's been trouncing all over the countryside, hiding in caves, hiding in thickets, trying to escape the Saul and all his men. He is worn out. He is exhausted. He is tired. He goes home to find everything is destroyed. His family is gone. His children are gone. And now the only friends he has on the face of the earth are wanting to kill him. David, this is your fault. And David has nowhere to turn but to God. That's it. And that's enough. David encouraged himself in the Lord as God. How should we respond to those tough and difficult circumstances that God allows in our lives? I believe that David gives us the answer. What did David do that we can also do? Number one, he encouraged himself. He found his strength in the Lord his God. That's where we must find it. You can't find it in a friend. As nice as people are, God is better. As kind as people are, God is more secure. 
besides this. You remember when God or Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side? Remember that? Did Jesus know that a storm was going to come? Of course he did. Did he stand back and say, well, wait a minute, guys, I really want you to go to the other side, but uh, I'm really debating this mentally. I mean, uh, I really need you to go, but I, 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 I just, you got to know there's going to be a storm out there, and I'm not, I know you're not going to like it. It's not going to be fun. The winds are going to come, and maybe you, shouldn't just, maybe you just shouldn't go. He told them to go. And what was their response? They went. What were they supposed to do? Go. God knew it was going to happen. Did God know that David was going to face this day? Yes or no? Yes. Does God know that we're going to face everything that we face that is not always pleasant? Yes. So what are you going to do about it? Get mad at God? Some people do. Say, God, you made a mistake? Some people do. God knew what would happen. And we need to learn to find our strength in the Lord and nowhere else. Listen, let me jump around just for a couple minutes. Ben, if you want to put some of these verses up there on the screen, we're, we're going to jump around just for a couple minutes. I, w- I want you to see what Scripture has to say about these kinds of circumstances. I chose a handful. There's a bunch more than this in Scripture. You know that as well as I do. Let me remind you of a couple of them. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for His name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for what? He is with me. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. He prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Does God know we're going to face a valley? Yes. But even in that valley, God is with us. Turn over to Psalm chapter 42. In verse 5, it says this, Why am I so depressed? Why is this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise Him, my Savior and my God. So he reminds us that our praise is to be in Him regardless of the circumstances of life, regardless of what is taking place. Our hope, our trust has to be in Him. Our mind has to be reflecting on Him no matter what. In Psalm chapter 28 and verse 7, it says this, No bird of prey knows that path. No falcon of eye has seen it. Uh, wait, that's not the right one. 28 verse 7. Maybe it's 27 verse 8. I wrote down the wrong verse. Joshua 1.9. Let's look at that one. Jump around to the next one. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is what? With you. Wherever you go. No matter what. He's with us. Over and over. Matthew 28 and verse 20. Familiar passage again. Matthew 28 and verse 20. Matthew 28 and verse 20. 
I am with you always to the end of the age. No matter what, He's with us. Over and over, Matthew 6, 25 and following, when I read through the whole passage, John 16, 33. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 8. We are pressed in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Why? We always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies so that in the life, Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always, or, or, for we live are always given more to death. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. You have to understand, in every circumstance of life, it's not a mistake. God didn't scratch his head and say, I I didn't know you were going to face that. I didn't know you were going to go through that. In every circumstance of life, we have an opportunity to let Christ be seen in and through us through these circumstances. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. He knows exactly what's taking place. Look at verse 16, chapter 4. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. That's what, Paul, or that's what David was saying. I find my strength in the Lord. I'm encouraged by Him and what He is doing. Psalm 147. It's a reminder. Verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Think about that. Who else can say that? Man can't do that. Only God can do that. Just a couple more. Isaiah chapter 40. And verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. Listen to the last phrase. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit. He doesn't run out of the ability to give hope and strength and peace and help in time of need. Psalm 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on you with my righteousness, right, righteous right hand. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. All these verses and so many others talk about the fact that God gives us what we need when we need it. And when David had nowhere else to go, when even the very friends that followed him all over the countryside, when the very friends who hid in the caves with him, when, when, when every one of those who were his biggest supporters turned on him and, said, and, and wanted to stone him, he had no one else 
but he had God. So what did he do? Let's turn to our passage here in 1 Samuel. Chapter 30. So number one, he found his strength in the Lord. We also must do that. Number two, he sought the Lord for wisdom. How do I know this? Look at verse 7. David said to Abiathar the priest, son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought to him. And David asked the Lord, Should I pursue these raiders? Will I overtake them? God, how do you want me to handle this? Do you want me to go after those who have taken everything from us? God, what do you want me to do? You know, in our culture and in the society that we live, one of the first things that we do when we're going through a difficult time is we, we do this. We get out the phone and we, uh, you, know, we you know, yeah, I got this situation here and uh, I'm not really sure what I can do and I'm not really sure what I should do. And, and uh, you know, what do you, how do you think I should handle this? Do you, what, 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 do you, what would you do if you're... And we get on the phone, we gab, we talk, we get on the email, we send letters out, whatever. Rather than saying, God, what do you want me to do? God, how do you want me to handle this? David, in the situation of not having anyone else, says, God, what do you want me to do? Then number three, this is critical. Look at verse 9 and 10. David and the 600 men with him went as far as the Wadi Basur, where the 200 men who were to remain behind would stop. They stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the Wadi Basur. David and 400 of the men continued in pursuit. Actually, look at verse 9 there. The Lord replied to him, Pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. So David found his strength in the Lord. Number two, he sought the Lord for wisdom. God told him what to do. He said, pursue, and you'll overtake them, and you'll recover. Number three, it's critical. He obeyed what God said to do. He obeyed. Lord, do I pursue? Yes, pursue. But God, there's probably a whole bunch more of them than there are of us. Pursue. Well, I'm not really sure what I'm... Pursue. It's simple obedience. And how often do we know what's right to do, but we don't do it? Because of fear? Because of the unknown? Or apprehensive because we're not sure how it's going to unfold? But he sought the Lord, and God said, go. And how often do we find ourselves in situations where we seek godly advice? We ask somebody that we, we trust and respect and has knowledge of God's Word, and they say, I think you should do this in this situation. And it really sounds good, we think, on paper. And then we go off and do the exact opposite of what godly men or God's Word has told us to do. And we miss the blessing because we chose to handle it our own way. David said, what do I do? Do I pursue? Yes, David, pursue. And he did it. And here's the thing. Look at down verse 18 and 19. David recovered 
everything the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing from the youngest to the oldest, including the sons and daughters of all the plund- of all the plunder the Amalekites had taken. David got everything back. Think about that. He comes back home to find his village burned, all of his possessions gone, his family taken. He does four things. He finds his strength in God. What should we do when we're going through difficult times? Number two, he sought God's face. What should we do in difficult times? Number three, he obeyed what God told him to do. What should we do in difficult times? And number four, because he sought, found his strength in God, because he pursued God's wisdom, because he obeyed what God told him to do, God honored his obedience and gave him back everything that he had lost. Well, we said, what if he didn't get everything back? What if? God's still God and he's sovereign and he can do whatever he wants. Does God give everything back in every circumstance? No. But what happens if we choose not to follow David's pattern? What happens if we choose to disregard what we see in Scripture here? Well, first of all, we have to understand in Romans 8.28 that God doesn't make mistakes, right? Right? We, we understand that? God doesn't make any mistakes? Right? Romans 28, 28 and 29, for all things work together for who? To those that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. That we might become more like Him through those things. For whom He did, for no, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. God allows the circumstances to mold us. But what happens? Well, I think Hebrews twelve fifteen gives us a good understanding of what takes place when we choose to disregard what we know is clear biblical principle. It says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. When we choose to disregard what God has clearly laid out, and we begin to question what God wants for us, what God is trying to do in and through us, bitterness slips in. It had been very easy for David to become bitter, wouldn't it not? I mean, God, what have you done? I mean, for real, my, my family, my wives, Lord, what, what are you doing? See, we usually get bitter when I want something from God and He says no, or I have something and God takes it away, and we get angry about it. Either I wanted something and God said no, or I had something and God took it away. If we can really just put it down to where the rubber meets the road, I don't like the circumstances and I'm mad about it. God, you've made a mistake. Bitterness defiles and destroys lives. And we can sit here this morning and say, well, boy, what a bummer. David has a bunch of really bad days. Too bad for him. Or we can say, yes, David had some really bad days. But he learned from it. And God blessed him through it. Number one, he encouraged himself. He found strength in the Lord. Every time we go through a difficult circumstance, you have to go to God first. Number two, God, what is it that you want me to do through this? 
What do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle it? What, God, should I do? Number three, God, I'll do whatever you say. That's the hard one. See, oftentimes we know what we should do, but are we willing to do it? That's where it gets difficult. Because all of us know what's best for us, right? We all know what's best for our own lives. We all act and live that way to some extent. But are we willing to do what God says is best? And then number four, if we could put it this way, you wait on God to act. You can't control the outcomes and neither can I. In David's circumstance, as he waited on God, as he obeyed God, God gave him back everything. God may not give you everything back. But that doesn't mean he's any less God. He's still sovereign and can do whatever he wants. But what David did in that circumstance that he waited on God to do what God was going to do. If we can do those things in our lives through every circumstance, I don't care if it's a financial need, I don't care if it's a physical illness or, or sickness need, I don't care if it's a mental issue need, in all these circumstances, they didn't, they didn't, God is not up there on his throne saying, bummer, you know, I'm going to let this go, but you know, pfft. You know, good luck with that one. He's got a plan. Are we willing to submit our lives to His so that He can work it? He's God. And He doesn't make any mistakes. And I think there's so many things that we can learn from the life of David. Was David perfect, by the way? Uh-uh. David made some serious mistakes in his life. But he got it right on this one. He got it right on this one. And we can learn from that. And I think every one of us in this room this morning, if you haven't, you're going to be facing some things that are not pleasant. How are you going to deal with that? Will you submit to God? Find your strength in Him? Seek His face and advice and wisdom from Him? Do what He says to do and wait on Him? If you can do that, God will bless you through it. I believe that. But if we say, God, I'm going to do it my own way, we're going to be hurting. And we're going to miss the blessings of God. Let's pray.